0: As I said up front, I'm Pastor Evan. I'm delighted that you're here today. Um, And to give you a little more on that update, yes, our middle daughter, Elia, was in the hospital with pneumonia, which is unfortunately a frequent occurrence, less this past year, thanks be to God. Um, But I, I am always thankful for your prayers, and I am always thankful for how supportive you are as a people. Uh, we have all kinds of people that reached out to us and said, we're praying, what do you need? All kinds of things. Um, and so I, I'm, I feel blessed. Thank you. And, and as we continue on, and as I talk, we're in, we've been talking about prayer for about a month now. We got a, another uh, week or so to go on this. And um, I wanna point out that one, this weekend of having a daughter in the hospital, which has been a regular occurrence in our lives over and over again, um, has strengthened my prayer life considerably. And so as I've been speaking over these past weeks, we've had uh, the blessing of Patty. Patty and Brent Thompson, by the way, are here this morning. They led us in Sunday school this morning, and thanks for that. And uh, Mark Schwarting led us in one of the weeks on prayer, and we've been talking about prayer. Um, a, a lot of what I'm saying I hope you hear is, is I've tried to do it myself. I'm not telling you something I'm not myself trying or haven't tried in the past. And there are plenty of ways beyond what we're talking about to engage in prayer. But, but I'll tell you a little bit about, since we're talking about the, the health issues, uh, with my own family and my own daughter, um, when I, about a decade ago, I served for six months as a hospital chaplain. And I remember the one thing I was terrified of doing at the time, I only had one kid, she was just a few months old and in fine health. Um, I was afraid to go to the neonatal intensive care unit as a chaplain and I thought, I, I'd gone through the training, I'd seen uh, pictures and I'd uh, heard experiences of families, especially when they lost or were dealing with these really difficult health situations and I thought to myself, I have no words. I have no prayers for these situations. I've not, got nothing to give in this particular situation. Now, I've spent time in the neonatal intensive care unit with my own child. I've spent time in the hospital many times, gotten to know families that have done the same and they're, they're regulars. We know all the nurses and doctors at the hospital. We know the, the phlebotomists. We know all of them now, right? Because we're regulars. We have a punch card at the hospital down the street. I don't have any better words all these years later, but I, I think I have, a better way to engage in prayer because I've been trying it myself. And I've realized God has taught me in the process that children are a gift. I'm given this gift, all of them, the ones in good health and the ones that aren't, are a gift and God gives them. I need to enjoy that gift that God's given and use it well. I'm also reminded that God walks through us no matter what's going on around us. And that launches us back into prayer. What we've been talking about uh, it is just a particular way of praying over these past few weeks. And it's a particular way that can be done anytime, anywhere, in any circumstances, whether it's quiet or whether it's loud, it doesn't matter. And, and it's intended to be both a discipline that you could practice, but also a soul resetting exercise. Because for some of us entering into prayer is hard. We've been trying and trying and trying and trying. And all I'm suggesting to you is this is a particular way that I have discovered that kind of helps reset things and draw you into God's presence in a different way. This is not an exhaustive look at prayer. There's a lot of other things you could add. But what we talked about over the past few weeks and, and what I would I stand on is that prayer is not about request. It's about relationship. That doesn't mean requests are bad. That's just not the long and short of prayer. That's a component of prayer. The relationship with God is what we are trying to establish in prayer. That communion with God is what we're trying to do. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about meditation. Meditating on God's word as a way to enter into prayer. That we would memorize God's word, take it in, internalize it. Right, that it would begin to indwell and interpret us. And in doing that, we put on the mind of God. We just start to discover who God is and what God is asking of us and how we can draw closer to God and walk in step and communion with God by taking in his word. And the next step we talked about last week of contemplation, of taking that word and letting it drill down as deep as possible within our soul, that we're learning to listen at that point as we let the word sit inside of us and do its work. The more you memorize and meditate and meditate really is muttering, right? You're saying it over and over and speaking it over and over and letting it run over your mind over and over and all of a sudden now you can do the necessary soul work so that you can really hear when God speaks. That's what you're doing. Next week we'll talk about the fact that the goal is that you're changed, you'd are changed. you have a changed heart and character because of all this. And, and really the point of last week, this week and next week is this last point on the slide that if we allow obedient listening to happen, it should lead to obedient living. There there should be a result, a movement in that direction. But this week, I want to talk about what complicates the picture. And that is, we want this to happen. I sure hope you do anyways, that we'd like to hear God and then be reshaped in the process, have a good heart renovation that goes with that. So we're like Christ out of the result. But anybody else ever experience distractions when you try? I we have a dog, I enjoy our dog. I don't like taking her for a walk. I really don't. She's a, a squirrel chaser to the nth degree. And, and when you go out, we live in a neighborhood with lots of big trees and a lot of squirrels and there's one about every two inches. And so it's like walking a straight line, boom, walking a straight, just everywhere. You can't go in a straight line ever. Also, five between the hours of five and six o'clock, especially in the summer, Um, Our dog has basically paved a path between the front window and the kid's bedroom because she'll run back and forth and back and forth because any living thing that walks in front of the house is, um, she's not distracted, we are, right? She would call that the main focus. But it it looks like a distraction to me. She'll just go crazy barking at anything that walks in front of the house. And we can be that way. We, We know what we're supposed to do. But then any living thing comes by and distracts us, right? Just like the dog. And they can be active and they can be passive distractions that come our way. But they can create barriers to prayer if we let them get in and get rooted without realizing and take hold. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I want to do it by looking at 2 Corinthians 10. I encourage you to open to that. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. In the scripture reading today, we heard from 2 Corinthians 6. Um, Really, you could pick out about anything from Second Corinthians and get an impression that Paul is trying to defend something. Um, and he, he's got a couple things that he's trying to do. But let's listen to verses 3 through 5 to start with. Paul says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul already in doing this here, he's launching into sort of warrior imagery, soldier language here, that there's a battle being fought, a war being waged, weapons being used um, and that, that idea of a stronghold or a fortress. We'll get to that in just a second. But I want us to recognize that what looks very physical in his imagery is very spiritual in its implications. That's what he's getting at. His, this Don't let this just sit in the physical realm or just simply the metaphorical. He's saying there's a fight on right now and it's got real implications for your relationship with the creator of the universe, with the lover of your soul. The problems that Paul's addressing in the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, there's a collection to be taken, uh, especially chapters 8 and 9. He's really taking up that issue. Let's complete the work that was started. But he's being challenged. His authority as an apostle is being challenged by some people in the church in Corinth. And that's what he's defending here. This is where the letter gets severe, many scholars say, uh, chapter, verses 10 through 13. But we heard a little bit of his defense of that in the scripture reading from chapter 6 this morning. He's being pushed against. Are you really uh, an authority, Paul? We think we've got something to say on this too. We don't quite trust you. Paul says the battle isn't just happening in this physical plane here. There's something spiritual at play here. We better pay attention. When it says strongholds and demolishing strongholds, uh, your translation might have something a little different uh, that would lend a fortress or something like that. That's a useful image to recognize. In an ancient city... Like in the days of Paul, you would build a wall around your city. That would be your primary defense against attack. Inside of the city, you would build some kind of a fortress or a stronghold or some kind of a building that's kind of the last defense. It's where you keep some of the important provisions um, and some of the more um, important things in the town that if the walls were breached, you could even with a small contingent defend that stronghold against uh, the, the attacking forces and at least have some chance at working your way back out. That's the intent of a stronghold. It's the last thing to be defended within the city. And we can have those in our lives without realizing it, and they can block us from communion with God along the way. And they can start simple enough, but they can develop in us so that we just won't let God in to those areas. Now, as if you're a disciple of Christ, you follow Jesus Christ, there are certain disciplines that we, we hold to. There's a whole bunch of them that you could do that would develop your relationship. You should do these as a regular uh, part of your life, discipline kind of like an athlete trains. So we do that in the spiritual realm. That's the idea. Uh, prayer, of course, is what we're talking about. Uh, reading scripture, whether devotional or study. These are some of the top ones. And worshiping together, right? Those are, those are some of the, the ones you pick out as like, if you're going to pick out the essentials, I think that's what you'd pick. But when it comes to prayer, as we're talking about that, this is the one that, you know, you can read a book on scripture and how to read scripture and study scripture, and then you can, you know, sit down and do it. It would probably make sense. Um, You can do the same with worship. You come and gather with people. You start to figure it out. What are we doing here? It starts to make sense if you're astute. Prayer is the one where you can read all the books in the world, but until you do it, it's not going to make much sense. And sometimes I think even those of us that have tried it for years, it doesn't make much sense. So I have this little prayer continuum that I was thinking through this week, uh, that even if you're in the believing category following Jesus Christ, we can have people that are on one end that are the prayer warriors, right? Give me the list, I'll pray. Set the time, I'll be there. I'll stay at the beginning of the prayer thing all the way to the end of the prayer thing. Whatever you set up, I'm going to pray. We know those people. And then there are some that are on the other end that say, prayer, why bother? God already knows my request list and what I need, so why would I even engage in that? And then in the middle, there's a lot of us trying real hard and we're a little perplexed sometimes. What is this thing that we're trying to do? How, how are we supposed to engage in this thing? And I, try this out if this is your experience, maybe with prayer. You have your list, you start with your, you've set a time, you sit down, you start praying your list okay, God, I'm going through the list. Here are some people who really need your healing. Here are our missionaries. Here are uh, um, areas of the world. Here are some friends or family that are far from Christ. And then it feels like, okay, I, I get to the end of my list. I feel like I should probably pray more because the pastor's been talking about that. So I'll sit here I'll be quiet. There are some things I need at the store. Your mind starts to wander, right? And you start to make the list. Nope, but redirect. Okay, maybe if I open my eyes, I can focus. Wow, that shelf is really dusty. How did it get? No, focus, right? Right? When was the last time I watered that plant? No, focus, right? We get distracted in the process of trying to do that. And let me just relieve you. The distractions aren't sinful. That's going to happen. In fact, I was encouraged by this Word from a desert father, John Climacus, this week. He says, Fight constantly with your thoughts and call them back when they wander away. God does not demand that of those under obedience that their thoughts be totally undistracted when they pray. And do not lose heart when your thoughts are stolen away. Just remain calm and constantly call your mind back to God. There should be a level of grace because distractions will come. They'll come from every angle at any time. See, and the distractions aren't the issue by themselves. It's when we let them get a foothold in and become something more. That's when we can begin to close the door to God's work in us because we get discouraged by the distractions and we develop these strongholds, these areas where perhaps God, we're just not gonna hear from God in those areas. As I was thinking about this, I I, uh, was considering Jesus as he's in the desert because he was tempted by the devil in three different ways. And really those temptations were rooted in transferring authority away from God and towards something else, towards Satan or towards Jesus himself. And how did, how did Jesus fight those temptations? When Satan tempts him, he says, no, it's written. It's written. It's written. He uses Scripture as the thing by which he battles the temptations that come from him. It's against him. It's God's word in action. Those are some of the heavenly tools that we've been given to fight in this earthly fight. Something that that takes the playing field and completely changes what's going on. And I would suggest to you that we would be mistaken if we believe that we can innovate on Jesus' strategy. He had a good strategy. and, And that's what we're talking about using in this way of prayer right now. We run into distractions all the time that can become strongholds in our life. We need to set ourselves up like Jesus because sometimes these temptations come and they look simple and innocuous. Just turn the stones into bread. You'll, you'll be filled. What's the big deal? Jesus says, no, man does not live by bread alone. There's something else going on here. These things come and they look innocent, but they're always spiritual. In nature, they're always going to disrupt something crucial to our life and communion with God if we let them get in too far. And so, I want to talk about three distractions. They fall in two categories uh, in three presentations, and and one of the two categories they either fall in is lack of priorities or lack of practice. Right? We're either just not doing it, we've lost heart in doing it, or we just didn't set the priority to do it when it comes to some of the, the ways that temptation can come in and set up a stronghold in our lives. So these are the strongholds. You can come up with more. In fact, if you're in a small group, I encourage you, write down some other ideas. What, what would you add to the list? That's one of the questions on there. One of the strongholds I think we face uh, is boredom. When it comes to, and this is a long-standing. Uh, Christian uh, issue when it comes to scripture and prayer, Uh, we begin to to actually start to believe lies without realizing it about God's word or what God will do in prayer. So we believe, let's say about God's word, that the Bible is not as relevant as we maybe think it is. Yeah, there are parts that are, but I've already discovered those and the rest of it maybe is less relevant. Um, Some people will, will say that the Bible is untrue. Probably most of us aren't in that category, but what we sometimes fall in the trap of believing is that we can get that truth elsewhere, right? That we can garner that truth and the buffet of truth that's out there in the world, and we can take it in, and the Bible becomes a little less unique without us even realizing it. Oh, I can get that information elsewhere. And the Bible's useful. Yeah, it's good. Um, It's God's word, but we've been kind of getting that information out and about. Now, in my first year of college uh, at Covenant Bible College in Canada, uh, there was one evening where they served for dessert at the dining hall, a chocolate cake. It was beautiful looking chocolate cake. I'm not a chocolate cake person, but I'm a dessert person, so I can appreciate beauty like this. This was beautiful chocolate cake. I saw everybody took a piece of this beautiful chocolate cake. Everybody took about one bite, and they were done. Because something went wrong in the process of making this chocolate cake. It tasted really burnt. I mean, like... Cigarettes were mixed in. It was awful, whatever happened to it. I don't know how it happened. It was awful. But I'm sitting there with somebody who was, had finished two pieces and was on his third. And everybody at the table looked at him and said, why are you still eating that? It tastes terrible. He says, I know it does, but it looks so beautiful. It shouldn't taste this bad. I can't, I can't, not, I can't let it go to waste. And we said, no, just let it. It's okay to let that cake go to waste. It's not good. Sometimes we're fooled by cheap imitations, aren't we? Sometimes we we take in what really isn't worth taking in, as if it's the real deal. And we have to look and we have to check out how our worldview has been shaped. Is our worldview shaped by God's revelation, or are we assessing God's revelation by the world around us? How are we making that assessment on what truth is and what we should take in as truth? And, and, and sometimes we, we allow ourselves to be shaped so much by the world around us that what we find in God's word lacks any relevance for us when it is relevance. It is the real world. Everything else should be shaped by it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, the first part of 5, to give us a little weapon against this. Paul says, we, we uh, divide... Boy, I can't read. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We can stop right there. Because what's going to stop us from thinking that we're bored or we know enough about scripture or we can get this information from anywhere else is to recognize we can't. The knowledge of God is contained here and we defeat boredom. We defeat that lack of practice by putting on the mind of God, by gaining that knowledge of God from His Word. And so we talked about meditation already that we meditate on god's word and through that process we begin to take on the mind of god to actually recognize what truth is to actually recognize who we're called to be when we let that get inside of us as a little example um, of, of how this worked in my own life a few years ago i memorized psalm 98 verses 1 and 2 sing to the lord a new song for he has done marvelous things his right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. At first I was struck by, sing to the Lord a new song. Okay, that's great, that's easy. I like to worship, I like to sing. Yes, sing to the Lord a new song. I will sing, and I would sing. Uh, for he has done marvelous things, right? I wanted to recognize those marvelous things. And, and we can read something like that, and we can, if we don't internalize it, we might miss some of the important details. The thing that stuck out to me most strongly as I most took it in over a long period of time, was he has worked salvation for him. We automatically think, or maybe I do, he worked salvation for me, right? No, he did it for his glory. First and foremost, for his glory. All of a sudden, that detail stuck out, and you can't miss it in Scripture when those details start to stick out. I'm, I'm seeing it all over the place, whereas before, I was shaped by my worldview around me. Oh, it's for me. It's all about me. No, it's for him. First and foremost, I'm a byproduct I'm a beneficiary of his work. Secondly, we have busyness. It's the next stronghold that can take over for us. So in the first case, boredom, we need to know God. Busyness now comes in. When I was a a middle schooler, we called it junior high back then, um, and I was probably seventh grade, it was summer. You know the schedule of a junior higher in summer. We don't have one, right? Those are glorious days. I had one one chore I needed to do on this particular summer day. I needed to vacuum the house, the main level. Would have taken me 15 minutes. And then the rest of the day was gonna be spent, I'd bike the five blocks to my friend's house and we would spend the entire day biking or not biking or doing whatever you do in, in junior high. That's absolutely nothing, right? Dad was at work, mom had to run an errand. And I was ready to go, and I thought, I don't want a vacuum. So I rode my bike over to my friend's house. That was one of those occasions where the bike, when my mom returned, got left at the friend's house, and I was brought back home, and I did not bike the rest of that day, right? Fifteen minutes is all it would have taken for me to have the whole day to just enjoy, and instead I chose to ignore that, and I lost the privilege. Sometimes we have mixed up priorities, don't we? I had mixed up priorities in that moment. And we can start to believe lies about this life, like happiness is king. That's all it is. I should schedule my entire life around what makes me happy. That one's in the water right now, isn't it? Or we can schedule our lives and be really, 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 really busy, and we, we can justify it by saying, well, it's for my family. It's for my kids. This is what we do for them, right? Right? Or we can schedule ourselves so we're just crazy busy because productivity equals value. That's a lie, by the way. It doesn't. That's not where our value comes from. And so we jam-pack our schedules. I can guarantee you, myself included, every one of us, our schedules are too full. If you think it's not, it probably is. Our schedules are too full. And we start to fill them up and we start to run frantic lives, and some of us move to the next phase of frenetic lives where they're out of control and wild. And have you ever wondered how does that shape my character? Have you ever thought about your schedule in a spiritual way? What does that do to me from the inside out to live in such a frantic and frenetic way because frenetic schedules create frenetic people. So our values start getting mismatched along the way because we're really not actually assessing what goes in as carefully anymore. We're just trying to jam more into there. And then we have the grand excuse for the one or two things we don't want to do. I just don't have the time. But we'll find the time for some things, right? We'll jam in all those things that we can. And once our schedule has conquered us, our priorities are off. Once we get to that point. Our priorities are off and we need to step back because busyness becomes a stronghold when we're no longer able, we're so busy that we can no longer hear God speak. God's speaking, but we can't hear anymore. And even when we take the time, like we did in this exercise over the last few weeks for some of us to stop and try and listen, our hearts haven't stilled down. They're still going, thinking about what's going to come next. We can't hear, we've blocked it. It's become a stronghold without realizing it. And then what gets worse is for some of us, we get into this guilt spiral. Well, if I do take the time, I feel guilty because I haven't spent the time with God. So maybe I shouldn't take the time with God because then I'll just feel worse and even more guilty. I remember talking to a college student when I worked with college students and uh, he wanted to do this. He said, you know what? I've just hurt God too much. I think I'll just give up on God so I don't hurt him anymore. I said, well, I think that might hurt him worse actually. You need to walk towards him, not away. Paul, if we go back to 2 Corinthians 10.5, he's told us you know, that we, we work against this with the knowledge of God. He says, and we take captive every thought. If you just stop there, that's what we actually need to do. We're so busy sometimes. We defeat busyness by scheduling what matters, by taking captive the important things. And putting them in their rightful place by reprioritizing what matters. And we could ask ourselves who does your time belong to? Ultimately, time is a gift, isn't it? Time is a gift that's given by God for us to use in pursuit of God's priorities and in communion with our Maker. So we talked about putting on the mind of God and that meditation defeats the issue of boredom, that we would not know what to do or not practice prayer or whatever. Busyness, we're just running too fast. What we need to do is allow ourselves to stop and put the right things in place so we can hear when God is speaking, because God is. And allow God to really get into our soul and drill down so that we can repent if we're missing the mark and walk forward in obedience. And that leads us to the third thing, the third stronghold, the king of sins, pride. And here we believe simple things like, I'm in control, right? Until the next fad, commercial, or news cycle, of course. And then we're just thinking about those things. We can think things like, I know what I need. And there's truth to that, but sometimes we don't actually know what we need. Sometimes we need other people speaking in, but pride comes in when we think we're the sole arbiter of what we need and understander of that. And then the one that I'm guilty of quite often, I want that information, but not from that source, right? That's the reinvention of the wheel idea. We can be very prideful in that. This is the thing that Paul's fighting when it comes to the authority issues in 2 Corinthians. And if you go back to verses one and two, it won't be on the screen, but I'll just read it. He says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, that word is meekness and gentleness of Christ, by the way. He says, I appeal to you, I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. What Paul is saying, he knows that they want to fight. He knows that they want to fight like you would in the ancient world, where where you'd kind of have two people arguing against each other, and the argument that wins is not the argument that's true, it's the argument that's more convincing. That's how you argue in the ancient world, it's rhetoric. And they would argue against each other. Those are the weapons of this world, that they're going to fight with each other. Pride, fighting pride is what it is. Paul says, then you're living in the flesh. You guys need to realize you have a deeper problem that needs to be addressed. Paul is trying to war like Jesus in this case. He's going to use the heavenly tools, not the earthly tools. He says, your problem is a heart issue. That's what's wrong. That's what needs to be addressed. And that's what pride does. It it makes it a heart issue, even when we don't realize it. So Paul says, if we read the whole verse of verse 5, he says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We need that. And we take captive every thought to make it what? Obedient to Christ. When we start to make our thoughts obedient to Christ, we've taken on the mind, we've let it drill down by memorizing, by meditating on God's word, by contemplating, by letting it really sink in and allowing our soul to hear it, even in spite of the noise of the world around us. At that point, we can move forward towards obedience. Okay, it's calling me to something. Am I gonna hear it? And am I gonna respond? I wanna give you encouragement on this level. Uh, I've been working, my personal trainer, which is my wife these days, uh, for the last two months has had me eating better so that I lost a little weight. I was happy about that. Um, And now she's got me exercising. And I'm one who, if you said to me right now, let's go hiking, I'd drop this and I'd come with you and go because I really like hiking anywhere, anytime. But if you said, let's go to the gym two months ago, I'd say, why, right? I don't enjoy the gym even remotely until recently. So what happened is I started eating better. I started feeling better. I started going to the gym now. I've been doing things that you do at the gym that make you feel better and and make your body feel better. And here's the thing. I felt pretty good two months ago before I started this but I feel better now. Isn't that interesting that you can feel better? And if there's a better, don't you want the better rather than right now? Pride is when we think now is all there is. All I have now that I can have right now is all that there ever will be working in me. And I don't believe that there's a better with God. Do you this morning believe that there's a better with God? I don't know about you, but if there's a better with God, I want that better. That's what our encouragement should be to enter into this kind of thing. Do not let pride rule that what I have is the best because I have it, but that God has something better for me if I enter into communion with him and if I keep trying at this thing. A few words here as we close out from Matthew the Poor, the late monk of Egypt in his book Orthodox Prayer Life. You'll get just a little bit on the the screen, but I'll read a little more than is there. He says, When the love of God warms the heart, it holds sway not merely over the mind or senses, but the whole person. This kind of rounds up what we've been talking about the process. He says, We're ushered into a repose and quietude which are nothing other than paradise. Isn't that your better? This is due to the degree of security and infinite tranquility that a person feels when living in the presence of the almighty, omnipotent God. Neither the past with its tragedies and depressing images, nor the present with its demands, will any longer be seen on the horizons of the prayerful mind. Neither will there be anxiety over what surprises the future may hold, for the soul of man will be lying in the bosom of God. In him it confides without limits." like a child lying on the breast of his mother. Distractions are always gonna tempt you. They're always gonna come from every angle. They come at me, they'll come at you. The question is, are you setting yourself up to go through those and be in communion with God? To not allow those to become strongholds in our lives that would block us from that communion, but to open the pathways so that we can actually hear God clearly as he speaks. Let's take time. Let's pray. And I'm going to just have a little bit of silence here. And I want you to take time to ask God what temptations and strongholds need, need to be battled right now. And then I'll close out the time. Lord, you know what war is against our souls to pull you from your presence. You know that for some of us, we just haven't engaged with your word like we should. For some of us, we're busy and it becomes an excuse. And we need to chart out the time to be with you. Not tomorrow, but today. For some of us, we experience pride and we don't even realize it. Father, it comes with skepticism. Maybe if I try this, maybe if I enter into this, I'm not going to achieve those results, God. I won't really find communion with you if I meditate on your word or let it sit there. That seems like a silly idea. What is memorizing going to help? But God, help us take in your goodness, however it's going to come. Help us let it get deep inside of us so that those parts of us that we think are okay But don't at all line up with your son, Jesus Christ, and who we're supposed to be. That those things would be revealed to us as in a mirror. That we wouldn't be able to ignore those, but that we'd repent from our distance from you. That we could turn in obedience and be your children who love you. Who want to bask in your presence. Who just want to enjoy communing with our heavenly father. God, bring us into that presence this day. We pray in your name, amen.